Good morning, church family. I pray that you are all well on what is the first day of the month of August and our second to last week in our study of the book of Habakkuk. For today, we will be looking specifically at Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 8 through 16, where we find ourselves still caught up in the midst of the prayer from the prophet Habakkuk, a prayer chapter 3, verse 1, according to Shigionoth. Now, if you can remember, all the way back to last week, this term Shigionoth implies that this was likely a prayer church that was intended for the righteous people of Judah to all sing together as a way to strengthen themselves in the faith and to remind themselves that their God always has been and always will be faithful to deliver his people. And the prophet Habakkuk, he knew this to be true because he has heard, verse 2, the report of the Lord. For the prophet Habakkuk has heard directly from the Lord, chapter 2, verse 4, that the righteous shall live by faith and that God will ultimately judge the wicked. And the prophet Habakkuk has also heard about the Lord in that the Lord was also faithful in the past to rescue his people from Egypt, destroy the Egyptians at the Red Sea, and sustain his people for 40 years in the wilderness. Therefore, since God was faithful in the past to save his children, then so too does the prophet Habakkuk believe that God will be faithful to do so in the future. And thus the prophet Habakkuk, he petitions God in verse 2 to revive his work, meaning that in the years to come to do the work that he said he was going to do, that being to discipline the nation of Judah for their sins, to judge Babylon for their wickedness and evil, and to ultimately deliver those whom he declares as righteous. But in doing so, to also, verse 2, remember mercy. Because Habakkuk knows, church, that it will only be the mercy of God that will ultimately keep the mighty nation of Babylon from literally wiping Judah off the face of the earth. To which the prophet Habakkuk then transitions in his prayer in verses 3 through 7 from petitioning God to revive his work to that of praising God for this future work. And thus what the prophet Habakkuk shared in verses 3 through 7 was an amazing and all-inspiring and glorious picture of God coming to carry out this work among his people, whereby at the simple coming of the Lord, the splendor of God, verse 3, it covers the heavens, and rays, verse 4, they flash from his hands, and mountains, verse 5, they become scattered before him, and the people of the earth, verse 7, are left trembling at his feet. Because when our God arrives on the sea, church, make no mistake, the earth, it will be full of his glory and honor and praise. Amen, church. However, brother Christian, sister Christian, when our God shows up on the scene here in chapter 3, he doesn't just show up to be seen. For the Lord our God, he shows up on the scene here in order to go to work, in order to accomplish perfectly the purpose of his will which is exactly what we are going to see take place in our text today and which takes us to our thesis statement this morning or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. The Lord always triumphs over his foes and perfectly accomplishes all that he wills. 
Again, our thesis statement this morning is this. The Lord always triumphs over his foes and perfectly accomplishes all that he wills. Let's at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up to Habakkuk chapter 3, as we'll be looking at verses 8 through 16. And if you are joining us this morning and do not own a Bible, please know that is okay because there is a Bible located in the chairs in front of you with your name on it, meaning it is yours to take, yours to keep, and yours to have, because trust me, we want you to have your very own copy of the Word of God. However, the only thing we ask if you do take one is that you read it, beginning today by turning to page 786 and joining us as a church body as we hear the Word of God together this morning. So again, church, we are in Habakkuk chapter 3, and we're looking at verses 8 through 16 this morning, where the prophet Habakkuk writes, Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers, or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and ride. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear... And my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word, it remains eternal. Lord, we, Father, we have confidence in that because you are immutable and that you do not change and cannot change. We have confidence in that this morning because you are faithful to carry out and to do exactly what you say you are going to do, God. And we have confidence in that, Father, because you always accomplish perfectly your will, for you will reign victorious over all. Father, let our hearts be strengthened by that this morning. Let our hearts be strengthened by this wonderful, profound, beautiful text. The coming of the glory of the Lord has come to carry out his perfect will and work. And if you did it in the past, Father, you will do it today. Father, I pray you open the eyes, the ears, and soften the hearts of these dear individuals here today, your church. Father, help them to receive exactly what you need them to receive today to strengthen their souls. Father, I pray that you help my lispering, stammering tongue this morning 
Lord, that I speak boldly and confidently because this is your word that I am sharing. Let me do it in a humble manner, but above all else, Father, I pray that your spirit guide me and I give this dear flock the truth that they need. Father, you be glorified today through this entire worship service. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, the faithful, all-powerful, and unchanging divine warrior fights on behalf of his people. The faithful, all-powerful, and unchanging divine warrior, he fights on behalf of his people. Verses 8 through 11, Habakkuk writes, Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. So again, church, we are dealing this morning with language that is very much poetic in nature. For this is language that is deep, language that is extensive, and language that is reverent and big and bold and confident. For the prophet Habakkuk here, church, is praising God in the text as he envisions him bringing about his holy judgment against the wicked and ultimately saving and delivering his people. However, Habakkuk is doing this at times by mixing in and recalling how his God faithfully acted on behalf of his people in the past. Therefore, with that context in mind, verse 8 opens with, Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? Now, there are a couple of different thoughts and perspectives here in terms of exactly what the prophet Habakkuk was referring to when he asked these rhetorical questions in verse 8. For some believe Habakkuk was referring to the evil cosmic forces of the world, or as Ephesians 6 put it, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, whereas others believe he was simply referring to Babylon but was doing so in a very figurative way. However, I tend to side with the scholarship that thinks that what Habakkuk was referring to here was, as Waylon Bailey put it, the idea that God had come not to turn the rivers again into blood, like he did at the Nile, or to divide the Red Sea again, like he did when he destroyed the Egyptian army, or to heap the Jordan up again, like he did when Israel crossed through it, because those rivers and seas, they had already been subdued by God. Instead, this time, God had come in order to conquer the evil of the nations, because the Lord, he had seen church, Babylon, marching throughout the breadth of the earth and seizing dwellings not their own. For the 
Lord had seen church Babylon coming for violence and gathering captives up like the sand. For the Lord had seen church Babylon plundering their neighbors, building their dynasties with blood, defiling his good creation, all while trusting in the work of their own hands and worshiping counterfeit gods. Meaning it is at this point, church, that the Lord our God, he has seen enough and that the day has come for Babylon to finally reap exactly what they have sowed and to taste the wrath of a holy God to which the prophet Habakkuk then envisions the God of the universe here in verse 9 as some kind of divine warrior stripping the sheath from his bow and calling for as many arrows as if to be seen drawing his bow back slowly and aiming it directly at the evil nation of Babylon ready to fire at any given moment. And yet at the height of this drama, church, as we wait here with bated breath on the edge of our seats for the divine warrior to finally strike down this evil nation of Babylon, the prophet Habakkuk simply writes in verse 9, Selah, a Hebrew word, church, as if to encourage his readers here to simply pause for a moment and to meditate and to think deeply for a second about what exactly is about to transpire. That being that our God church, he really is faithful and that he really does deal justly with the wicked and rescues, delivers, and saves those whom he declares as righteous. And thus, just sit back for a second here, church, and simply dwell on this wonderful and eternal life-giving peace-offering truth displayed to us right here in the very word of God, that our God, that he faithfully acts in time and in space in order to judge evil and to bring salvation to his children. Nevertheless, the next thing we see in verse 9, for it is as if God lets go of the bow and fires a mighty lightning bolt directly here at the wicked and a massive, catastrophic, and deadly storm breaks out, whereby, verse 9, God, he splits the earth with rivers and raging waters, verse 10, sweep on across the land. And make no mistake here, church, for these waters, they are waters of judgment, for they are waters that are so powerful and so destructive that their waves, verse 10, could lift their hands on on high and crash against the mountains. For these are the kind of chaotic waters, church, that the Holy Spirit hovered over at creation. The kind of destructive waters, church, that punished the earth in the days of Noah. For this is such an epic display of judgment against the wicked that even the sun and the moon, verse 11, stood still in their place, just like they did in Joshua chapter 10, when the sun stood still and the moon stopped until Israel took vengeance on their enemies, which is, church, the root. It is the foundation and the bedrock of the confidence of the prophet Habakkuk here, because he now knows and gets and understands that since God was faithful in the past to defeat his enemies, when he calls the literal sun to stand still and the moon to stop, so too then will God be faithful to act again in order to destroy his enemies and to save those whom he declares as righteous. Because our God, church, he is immutable and that he cannot change and thus does not change. Which is something I alluded to last week, church. However, it is something that I now want to highlight for you all this week. 
this fact, this truth, this central reality that our God is immutable and that he cannot change and does not change. For I read a story this week, church, about an author and pastor by the name of Lloyd Douglas, who when he was a student lived in a boarding house. However, downstairs on the first floor of the house was an elderly retired music teacher who was too weak to leave leave his apartment. Therefore, Douglas had a daily ritual with him, for Douglas would come down the steps each and every day, open the old man's door and ask him, well, what's the good news? To which the old man would pick up his tuning fork, tap it on the side of his wheelchair and say, that's still a middle C. For it was a middle C yesterday, it will be a middle C tomorrow, and it will be a middle C a thousand years from now. For the tenor upstairs, he sings flat. The piano across the hall, it is out of tune. But that, my friend, that is still a middle C. For the old man had discovered one thing in which he could depend on, one constant reality in his life, one still point, if you will, in an ever-changing world. To which for the Christian, that one constant reality of life, that one still point in our ever-changing world, that one absolute in which there is no chance of change, is our eternal and immutable God. Therefore, Christian, comfort in the midst of storms, hope in the midst of confusion, confidence when nothing around us seems to be going our way. It comes from comprehending that we have a God who knows all things, controls all things, works in and through all things, past, present, and future, and who does not change, and who faithfully in the past delivered his people from floods and from famine, from pharaohs and from kings, from lions and from serpents, from fire and from the very gates of hell, and thus if God was faithful in the past to deliver his people, and if our God does not change, then what do we as the children of God have to fear in the present? For as the prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, put it, a changeable God would be a terror to his righteous, since they have no sure anchor amidst a changing world and would be driven to and fro in fear of shipwreck. However, our hearts as Christians can now leap for joy because we bow to the one who has never broken his word or who has never changed his purpose. Therefore, brother Christian, sister Christian, let us briefly think clearly and deeply about this for a second. For if in love God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, Ephesians 1.5, then rest assured, Christian, for it does not matter then what changes or what takes place in the world around you. For it does not matter if your health changes, your paycheck changes, or the government changes. For it does not matter if your job changes, your prosperity changes, or the size of your house changes. For it does not even matter if your family Family changes, your support system changes, or those around you change, because through it all, Christian, your God, he will not.
not change. Therefore, those whom he predestined, he will call. Those whom he called, he will justify. Those whom he justified, he will glorify. No ifs, no ends, and no buts about it. And thus, when we meet trials of various kinds, church, let us simply then take a step back and remember and recall and recount how faithful our God was to deliver Noah and Jonah, David and Abraham, Paul and Silas, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel from a literal lion's den, and realize then that if God was faithful in the past to deliver his saints, and if he is for us, then who can be against us? For neither death nor life then, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And thus, brother Christian, sister Christian, since our God was faithful to deliver those whom he declared as righteous in the past, then let us, as the children of God, live by faith today, knowing that our immutable, never-ending, never-changing, always and forever God will be faithful to deliver those whom he declares as righteous in the future, since our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which brings us to point number two, church. The divine warrior ultimately will save his people. The divine warrior will ultimately save his people. Verses 12 through 15. You march through the earth in fury. You thresh the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. So again, church, when the prophet Habakkuk writes in verse 8, was your wrath, O Lord, against the rivers, we see here in verse 12 that the answer to that question is no. For the Lord's wrath, church, it wasn't aimed against the rivers here, nor was it aimed against the seas here, nor was it aimed against the mountains or the landscapes or the natural created world here. But instead, the divine warrior came, verse 12, to march through the earth in fury and to thresh the nations in anger. Meaning it's as if the divine warrior here, as one commentator describes it, becomes the divine farmer and begins threshing and beating the nations here into oblivion, all while preserving his precious people, just like a farmer would thresh and beat wheat as a way to gather and preserve his grain and to throw away any useless chaff. Which takes us now, church, to verse 13, which gives us, The why here in the text. For why exactly is God stripping the sheath from his bow, splitting the the earth with rivers, marching throughout the earth in fury, and threshing the nations in such holy anger? And the answer is, as we see here in verse 13, because God went out for the salvation of his people, for the salvation of his anointed. Now, if you are sitting there this morning thinking, wow, what a beautiful and profound verse, then you are most definitely on the right page this morning. 
because what verse 13 is telling us here, Christian, is that when our God breaks into time and breaks into space and comes, it is not for the wealth of his people, nor is it for the prosperity of his people, nor is it for the glory of his people or the therapeutic health benefits of his people or the vanity, self-confidence, or ease of life for his people. But when our God comes riding on his chariot and breaks into time and breaks into space, he does it, church, verse 13, for the salvation of his people, for the salvation of his anointed. Meaning that just as God came in the past, verse 13, and crushed the head of the house of the wicked, that being the Pharaoh of Egypt, so too then will God come again to crush the king of Babylon, to crush the ruler of every other evil nation after them, and to ultimately defeat sin, destroy death, and to crush the serpent's head as well. And our God will do it, church, in a way that is so decisive, so conclusive, and so profound that all the enemies of the Lord, verse 13, will ultimately be laid bare from thigh to neck for this envisioned beatdown church of God destroying, as Tim Mackey put it, all the pharaohs of this world, all the Babylons of this world, and all the evil that opposes him in this world, it ends simply with our God standing victorious over all in verse 15, trampling the sea with his horses, just as he did when he swallowed up the Egyptian army at the Red Sea, because our God always defeats his enemies, church, since victory it belongs to the Lord. Pastor Ray Stamps, he shared this story about three African men who were sentenced to execution via the firing squad in 1973. He said the African bishop of the district of these three men He was granted permission from the authorities to be able to speak with them prior to their execution. And thus, as they walked together on that day of their execution, the bishop was left pondering exactly how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with these three unsaved men. However, as they approached him, all three men had an unmistakable glow and radiance about their face and said, Bishop, we thank you for coming, for we wanted to tell you that on the day we were arrested in our prison cell, we asked the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and to save us, and he did, for Christ has saved us from our sin. For now heaven is open to us, and there is nothing between us and God. Therefore, please tell our families that we are going home to be with Jesus, and tell them to confess their sins and to trust in Jesus as well. Just a couple moments later, the three men faced the firing squad and did indeed go home to be with Jesus. However, the following week, the bishop was preaching in the hometown of the executed men, and the bishop shared with the congregation the testimony of these three men. And with that, the congregation all erupted into joyful song and into great praise of Jesus Christ. For they knew, church, that although death will come to us all, There is only victory for those who are in Christ Jesus. Since victory, it belongs to the Lord. 
Therefore, brother Christian, sister Christian, let us find strength this morning in the fact that our God only knows that of victory and that those who are in Jesus Christ will only taste that of eternal victory. And thus it does not matter how evil this culture gets, how secular this country gets, or how powerful the nations around this world get, because no one, and I mean no one, Christian, is like our God. For it is only our God who is majestic in his ways, undefeated in his battles, decisive in his victories, and who sovereignly reigns over all. Therefore, do not fear this world, Christian, or the evil, the wickedness, or the sin that is spewing out of it. Instead, trust in the Lord, be in all of the Lord, and give thanks to the Lord who has given you victory in Jesus Christ our Lord. And God, he can do that, church. You know why? Because victory, it ultimately belongs to the Lord. Now, as we close this morning, I will begin with the non-Christian who was here first. And non-Christian, if we use our sense of reason this morning and connect the dots here, that our God is always victorious, that our God is always faithful, and that God is immutable and that he does not change, the only question then that really matters to you this morning, non-Christian, is this. For are you God's enemy this morning? Or are you his child? Because if you are his enemy this morning, non-Christian, and that you have, you have rejected his law, dismissed his commandments, denied his existence, and refused his gospel, then quite frankly, non-Christian, you just like every other evil nation that is out there will eventually be struck down and devoted to eternal punishment, judgment, destruction, and wrath. Because if you then, non-Christian, excuse me, because it is you then, non-Christian, who will ultimately have to pay the price for your sin and face a holy God based on your own merit. And trust me, non-Christian, based on your own merit, you will not even be able to stand in the presence of your holy God. However, non-Christian, if today is the day that you repent of your sin then make no mistake, your God, he will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. And he will do that, non-Christian, because in love, in mercy, and in grace, he sent his anointed one. For he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save you from your sin. And he, Jesus Christ, did that for you, non-Christian, by, by initially living for you the life that you could never live. Meaning Jesus Christ, the one who is truly God and truly man, lived a life here on earth without spot or blemish or sin and fulfilled perfectly, non-Christian, the law of God for the children of God. However, non-Christian, living the life that we could never live, that in and of itself was not enough to save sinners from their sins. For the sinless Son of God... He also had to pay the price for our breaking of the law, meaning that he, Jesus Christ, willingly bore the wrath and the punishment and the judgment that we as sinners deserve for our sin by being crucified on a cross at Calvary and dying a sinner's death in our place as our very substitute, as the propitiation for our sins. In that Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross, non-Christian, it completely and it perfectly appeased the wrath of a holy God 
God toward his sinful children. And thus, three days later, as the proof, as the receipt, as the validation of all of this, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead, and he defeated sin, and he destroyed death, and he now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Therefore, non-Christian, let today be the day that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin, and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you then in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. Therefore, non-Christian, please listen carefully to me this morning, for there are only two options that stand before you on this day. For you can either be an enemy of the Most High God, or you can be adopted into his family today and be cleansed of your sin, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and reconciled back into fellowship with your holy God forever. Therefore, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sins and you place your trust in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you are forgiven of your sins, non-Christian, for you will receive the gift of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, brother Christian, sister Christian, thus far this morning, I hope this has been a confidence-inducing text and sermon for you all, being that we have focused on the fact that our God is immutable and that he cannot and does not change, and being that our God is ultimately the one who will reign victorious over all. However, brother Christian, sister Christian, simply because our God is immutable and will reign victoriously over all, that does not mean in this world and in the here and now that days of trouble will never be on the horizon for the children of God. And thus, because of that fact, the prophet Habakkuk, he closes verse 16 this way. For he writes, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. So what we have here, church, is that although Habakkuk knows that his God is faithful, and although Habakkuk knows that his God will deliver his people, and that although Habakkuk knows that his God will judge Babylon and crush all of his enemies in the end, Habakkuk also knows, church, that the wicked nation of Babylon is still coming for them, verse 16, to invade them, to discipline them, and to devastate them, and that it is going to be a bad, bad day. And this revelation that God had given to Habakkuk, well, it's enough, church, verse 16, to make his lips quiver, his legs tremble, and for rottenness to enter into his bones. And honestly, who can blame him for Habakkuk knows and gets and understands exactly the type of destruction that is ultimately coming his way. For as the Jewish historian Josephus shared, on the ninth day of the fourth month of the eleventh year of King Zedekiah, the northern wall of Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah, it was broken into. And Zedekiah, the king of Judah at the time, he was forced to watch his sons be executed before his eyes were gouged out and he was led back to Babylon to die in jail. And as for the rest of Jerusalem, as others record it, 
It was all burned up, and the walls of the city were all torn down, and all the military and civil and religious leaders there were either executed or carried away into captivity, for only the poorest of the poor were allowed to remain in the land of Jerusalem. For that is what was coming, the prophet Habakkuk's way, church. And thus we get it. Because although we, like the prophet Habakkuk, are saved, we also recognize that even the children of God can become distressed and distraught and emotionally upset in times of trouble. I mean, it is not hard to get distressed in the here and now church when we see Christians being beheaded in Libya, or Christians being persecuted in India, or Christians being jailed in Canada, or when the secularists say that they are going to come for our children right here in America. However, the question that we must ask ourselves this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, is this. For when those feelings do come, and those moments of trembling arrive, and those times of quivering show up at our door, and rottenness enters into our bones, do we then as Christians choose to live by that distress Or do we choose instead to live by faith? Or to put it another way, when the persecution and the hate and the animosity and threats against you do come, Christian, do you live by fear and stop going to church, stop following the commandments of God, stop walking in the ways of God, and stop hoping in the deliverance of God? Or do you, as someone who did not receive the spirit of slavery, to fall back into fear, but the spirit of adoption as one who can now cry out to God as Abba, Father, Realize that your God is immutable. Realize that your God is faithful and realize that it is your God who is the consuming fire and who will put every one of his enemies under his feet. And thus, verse 16, simply be willing to wait on the Lord no matter how long it may take, knowing that in the end, our God, he will deliver us. For the promise we have from Christ, Christian, is in the here and now, in this world, we will face persecution and pushback and evil and strife and that this world will hate us, but that we as the children of God are to take heart because we have a God, Christian, who has overcome the world, who devastated Egypt, destroyed Babylon, defeated sin, conquered death, and who has crushed the serpent's head. Therefore, our aim, our goal, our desire in all of this, Christian, when we become distressed about what this wicked world has to throw our way is to not let that pain consume us, control us, guide us, or direct us, but to instead choose to live by faith in the Son of God who gave his life for us, knowing full well that our God is faithful to come again, to crush his enemies, and to give victory over the world to those whom he has declared as righteous through his Son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is my prayer that when we as a church body struggle with our faith, Lord, let us be quick to recall of your faithfulness, to recall the day when you drowned Egypt at the Red Sea, rescued Judah from Babylonian captivity, and crushed the serpent's head at the cross of Calvary. And thus, let the recalling of these past deeds strengthen us in our faith today. For let it reassure us, Father, that every foe, that every enemy, that every adversary of yours in the end, they will all be put to shame. Therefore, Lord, when we struggle with the flesh, and when 
and our bodies tremble at the wicked, let us not be tossed to and fro by fear or doubt or despair, but instead in the midst of our dread, Lord, help us to choose faith, knowing that we are your children and that you love us and that your perfect love will cast out fear in the end. Thus, let us be confident. Take heed and give thanks to you this morning, Lord, as the only one who can give us eternal victory in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray, church.